Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, thanks for joining us this week. We have a great show lined up for today. And um, unfortunately, though, John, we're in kind of a rough rough market right now really uh, the markets have been down a little bit have you noticed that right. yeah <clears throat> just i mean a little bit. Uh, so it's been a little bit of a rough month here and uh, so we're going to be talking about that we're going to start off talking about the market correction and what you should know about that because you know it's an interesting correction it's the second one this year um that's a little bit unusual although it does happen mm-hmm. but we're going to dig into some of the details of you know, what may be causing this and uh, and what you should do, if anything. Yeah, there you go. It's um it, it is normal. I it mean, is it, normal. It, I mean it Very happens. Normal. So um we're gonna put that in perspective and then we're gonna follow up with a discussion about um you know, where to invest if you're a high income earner. And we, we do have clients that have done very, very well and, um, you know, different professions that, that pay well. And uh, they have a unique challenge because they need to save 10 or 15% of their income and they may max out their 401k and they're looking for other options. So we've got some, some really good ideas and we use these with our clients and uh, we're going to share that with you today. Yeah, there's some good tidbits in there. And by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 23 years experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out the website, moneymd.net. We have a link to the podcast. Also have a lot of videos, um, uh, some calculators, a lot of tools out there on the website. So go check that out. And uh, we have a Facebook page. Uh, we'll post a, a, a weekly uh, video out there and also a Twitter handle, MoneyMD. So a lot of different places. And email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. We're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. I think John's got some great news for us, something, yeah. some fun, I'm sure. I'm going to put it in perspective, right? <laughs> the, the, okay. the, well, we just went through the correction. So when people talk about market corrections, that means it, the market is down by 10%. So that's kind of the, the numerical uh, number. And you, so you look at the S&P 500, Steve, it did close at a, um, at a correction level this last week. And you know, if you look back to 2009, uh, there have been um, six corrections of at least 10%. So that's right. You know, in the last, you know, eight, nine years, there's been, you know, quite a few of them and, and 5% drops have even more, been more common, which would, you know, make sense. But there's been 12 drops of 5% or more. So, and you look back, you know, 100 years and these these trends, you know, they go on and on. And so when we say it's normal and, and can be expected, it's just happened in the past. The key is, is having a process in place to handle those downs. And, and and we're going to share that with you a little bit in the next segment. Yeah, it does happen a lot more frequently than people believe and people realize. Um, like you said, uh, about once a year, we go through a correction. We're actually in the second one this year. And uh, we have those 5% drops about three times every single year on average. Um, but you know, the great news about all this, the market has recovered from these 100% of the time. Yeah, as long as you're diversified, you get in trouble if you're right. like really narrow. But you're right; diversified portfolios has always come back. We can't predict the future, but you can't dispute the fact that it has always recovered. Yep, and always moved on to new highs. Mm-hmm. So you know that's history for you. I mean, hey, we could always be different this time, but I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> Not so fast. Not so fast. That's right. 
Um, all right. Well, that does lead us up to our first topic here, and, and that is the market correction and what you should know about the correction and, um, you know, how these happen and how they tend to go from here. This is based on an article out of Market Watch, uh, Su Chang, recent article here. But, John, as we mentioned, this is the second time this year that the market has dipped by more than 10 percent. I mean, that is uh, that's, that's a little bit unusual. Um However, it does happen. And, uh, you know, after a relatively straightforward climb last year without as much as a bump in the road in 2017, the Dow and the S&P 500, along with most indices, are down by more than 10 percent with the second correction this year. That hasn't happened since 2011. But again, it does happen occasionally. You have two that hit in one year. Um, But on average, it's about once per year. And it has been a very volatile year for the market. I mean, most people don't realize how big the swings have been this year, but that is typical surrounding a correction. Usually around a correction, you have some big moves right around the, the bottom of a correction. And uh, But the Dow has logged five of the largest 10 single-day point declines this year. Well, that's a positive fact. Thank you. <laughs> it's a positive fact. <laughs> well, it's also had like four of the largest increases yeah single day increases in and in out of 10 that's because the dow's at you know twenty five thousand, right um, and some change so uh, yeah that certainly impacts but you're right it has, you look at 2017 and it wasn't anything like this that's right yeah i mean so the numbers do get bigger as the dow gets bigger and you know but on a percentage basis they're not the largest ever um so that's worth noting but uh still you know and then there's also been eight out of the largest 20 point declines this year as well in the history of the market. So, you know, f- fun facts, they're not very meaningful, really. But um, the S&P 500 slipped into correction territory last week, as you mentioned. Um, and a market decline or a correction is defined as a 10% pullback from its recent high. Um, but a correction doesn't necessarily mean that a bear market is lurking around the corner in fact, history and data make a strong case that this recent spat, you know, of sell-offs is nothing out of the normal at all. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But let's talk about the economy. I mean, the economy has been very strong. Unemployment rate is at its lowest level in 49 years at a 3.7% <clears throat> unemployment rate. That's pretty remarkable in and of itself. And then the U.S. economy is on track to deliver a solid year with GDP growth. Um, Last quarter just came out here recently at a 3.5% GDP growth last quarter. Um, John, you know, and we had a 4.1% quarter the the quarter before in the second quarter of this year. So, you know, it's been very strong. And so that has people kind of scratching their head wondering, why is the stock market heading lower in such a good economy. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the S&P's off. NASDAQ is in correction territory. Look at international markets. They've, they've done even worse this year. They've had a really uh, really tough market. Last year, they had a really good year. Uh, but, you know, Steve, the market is really wrestling with uh, a lot of different conflicting factors, such as worries that a strong economy could prompt um, a more hawkish Fed, uh, increasing interest rates more, and um, got mid midterm elections coming up next week. What does that mean for the economy and the, the tariffs and China? And so there's a couple of different things. But, you know, there's there's always things out there that, that don't feel good, right? There are. Sometimes the market looks at things differently. But right now there is some questions um, about what the economy is going to do in 2019. And that's why the markets have pulled back a little bit. Sure. Yeah, there's definitely some things that people are pointing to and saying, uh, this is kind of the reason this time 
that markets are headed lower. But if you look at market corrections, there have been 22 corrections since 1974. Only four of them, which occurred in 1980, 87, 2000, and 2007, only four of those 22 eventually ended up being bear markets. So that's only about 18% of them that actually got worse and turned into a bear market. Um, And it's also worth noting that four out of five of the bear markets over the past 50 years, so when they did turn worse, it was accompanied by a recession. Hmm. So most bear markets have a recession with them. So that means only one out of 22 corrections over the past 50 years turned into a bear market without a recession. So it's very unusual for this type of correction would get worse in the absence of a recession. So that begs the question of, you know, well, what is a recession? What are the chances we we might end up in a recession? Well, recession is defined as two quarters of negative GDP growth. And considering that we're on track for a 3.1% GDP growth this year, it seems a little inconceivable that we would slip into recession anytime soon. And so that would make a bear market very unlikely, you know, one out of 22 yeah. chance if uh, about, if we didn't have a recession. About the chance of Clemson winning the college football playoff this year, right? <laughs> hey, let's hope it's not that good, John. More like, you know, uh, Carolina winning the uh, oh, college yeah. football playoff. Yeah, yes. This is true. It's one yes. out of 2,000. That might be a bit, a, a bit of a stretch. You never know. Um, but even in this current bear market <clears throat> or bull market that we're in, which, you know, started in 2009 and, and it's been kind of a long bull market. A lot of people have been pointing to that. Um, but there have been six corrections, like you mentioned, that avoided turning into bear markets, including the most recent one back in February that saw stocks, uh, you know, recover back to bear, uh, back to new highs in just a few months. Um, but the average recovery of those six most recent corrections was only 70 days. So pretty quick, you know, those mm, recovered. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, as mentioned, I mean, bear markets are usually triggered by a recession. There's not too many signs that an economic contraction is in the offing. So it's kind of a, not unlikely from where we sit. Absolutely. And you know what's true? We can't predict the, the uh, with any long-term accuracy whether a correction will manifest into a, a bear market. Um, which usually you know takes months to find a bottom. The data pretty clearly shows that most corrections over seventy percent turn out to be nothing more than a, than a quick hiccup that lasts a couple of weeks or you know maybe a, a couple of months as well. So betting against these averages historically has has not been a good strategy. Don't time the market. Exactly, <clears throat> exactly. So that leads us to the question of why is the market falling? Why are we in this correction at this point in the economy and the market? Um, well, there are a myriad of reasons that analysts are pointing to, as we just mentioned, um, or as you mentioned just a few minutes ago, John. Um, but perhaps the biggest one that the analysts seem to be pointing to is rising interest rates. And those create a significant headwind for stocks in four ways. So we're going to go over those here briefly. Um, but the Fed has been slowly raising interest rates now for about three years. They started from relatively uh, zero, zero, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then to now we're at a, a two and a quarter percent for short-term interest rates, and they're doing that in in order to keep the economy from overheating. So they're trying to kind of regulate the economy, the growth, so that it'll be steady and not not overheat and create a lot of inflation. And those rates, though, are starting to have an effect on the stock market in several ways. 
So the first one is how stocks are valued based on future earnings. So while earnings have been very good recently, most analysts, they value stocks by discounting the future earnings back to the day's dollars. And when interest rates rise, that discount rate that they have to use to discount those earnings, it translates into a lower valuation in today's dollars. So that's the first way it hurts interest rates or rising rates hurts the market. The second way, though, is <clears throat> higher rates, um, they cause cash outflows from the market and they decrease the demand for stocks um, because more conservative investors are always looking for higher yields. Therefore, as interest rates go up, it means that fixed income investments like bonds and CDs start competing for those conservative investors and more investors pull the money out of high dividend stocks and they put it in the fixed income investments like CDs, even money market accounts. Yeah. And the third way is, um, you know, you're going to have higher borrowing cost when uh, interest rates are higher, may um, hurt future earnings potentially. Um, and so that's going to hurt companies as well. If you have higher borrowing costs, um, it, you know, it's going to imp- potentially impact earnings, not guaranteed, but potentially. And the last way higher rates hurt stock prices is by slowing down the economy, uh, which can also hurt earnings. And when, when rates rise, people have to spend more on mortgages and, and other consumer loans, which decreases the spending and can slow the economy. So the good news is that the Fred, I mean, the Fed is approaching the final innings and it's uh and it's rate raising campaign and um, maybe I'll have one more increase this year or maybe two or three next year. And the stock market, the way the the market works fundamentally is when there's information out there, it prices that information into the the, the stocks. And so as long as there's not another surprise by the Fed, um, the market really shouldn't be hurt um, by these last increases because it's anticipated. Yeah, let's hope Fred <laughs> Fred doesn't surprise. Yeah, us. no more Fred surprises. <laughs> no more Fred surprises. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if the Fed does <laughs> stick to their strategy, you know, of raising rates, um, you know, a, a couple times next year, maybe three, and one more time this year, <clears throat> I think it's a foregone conclusion. The market's already factored all sure, that into yeah. the market, so I doubt that'll have a big impact on it. Um, but, you know, another factor that's been hurting the markets is the trade tensions and the tariffs with China. Um, this obviously has created more uncertainty and is, and is being cited a lot now by companies in their earnings calls. Whenever they talk about earnings and their earnings estimates and they're lowering their earnings estimates, they're mentioning that as one of the reasons. And <clears throat> as our companies um, uh, here in the U.S. buy a lot of raw materials from China, it's clearly starting to increase manufacturing costs. So it looks like, you know, the Trump administration has potentially one more round of tariffs that it can implement with China before all the goods coming in from China have new tariffs on them. So hopefully that'll be the final play in the trade war tensions. We'll see. But yeah, there. There's some information that came out just yesterday or, you know, recently that uh, looks like maybe they're going to negotiate a little bit. And so the market's like that. But who, who knows? Right. I mean, it's posturing at this point. Right, but it looks like that may be winding down, hopefully. Um, of course, the midterm elections are also a concern for investors. You know, that's coming up right here next week. Um, but that uncertainty certainly is hurting the market a little bit because investors are a little bit nervous about, you know, what that means about future policies and the economy. Um, so, you know, this is a, a common fear factor with elections. Historically, it goes away very quickly right after the election and the dust settles. And markets historically do very well um, after midterm elections and between that and the end of the year. Historically, it does better than average 
But of course, that only happens every four years. So you can't read too much into those type numbers. Yeah. And no one can predict with consistency where the markets are going to go, period. No one can do that. And um, But, you know, the odds are greatly on your side that it heads back up from here, recovers as it historically does 70% of the time. And, you know, the economy and uh, other underlying factors don't seem to support a continued decline uh, to any large extent. Now, obviously, we, we're you know we're not trying to predict the future, but you start looking at the odds historically on corrections, and it can help you make some some good decisions and uh, stay invested and do rebalancing. Exactly, you got to keep the odds on your side, and that's what we're talking about here. You know, and the market, the odds with the market are definitely on your side. So, what do you do as a result of all this information about where the markets and the economy are at? Um, well, the short answer is probably nothing. Um, however, there may be some appropriate moves to consider at this stage of the game. First, you want to rebalance your portfolio back to the target allocation. You know, hopefully that's being done for you automatically, as it is for our clients here. Um, but, you know, this will force you to sell a little bit of what's up today, which is usually fixed income in a down market like this, and buy a little bit of what is down which, of course, is stocks. I mean, stocks are on sale. We're having a midnight madness sale here, John. I mean, they're down like 10%, so you want to take advantage of that, and rebalancing is a great way to do that. Um, though next, though, if you have money that's sitting on the sidelines, now would probably be a great time to put it in, put it to work in a diversified portfolio. Remember, a correction is a once-in-year opportunity to buy stocks at a 10% or more discount, so don't miss out on this yearly opportunity um, that you have to invest the money and, you know, put it to work in a, a, a down market. And then finally, it's probably a great time to reevaluate your risk level. Now that the string, uh, the sting of this correction is fresh on your mind. Um, that doesn't mean that you should go more conservative right away, but consider if this level of volatility is appropriate and comfortable for your situation. So if you've been sleeping fine at night and you continue to, to sleep fine after you see your October statements, then great. I mean, you're probably in the right portfolio. Um, but if you've been a little bit nervous about your investments and you've considered going more conservative in the middle of this pullback, then perhaps you should take a step back and take a step down the risk ladder. Um, so put it on your calendar in January, you know, after the dust settles and the markets recover a bit. To take a look at that and consider if now might be a time to move back a little bit in risk. So those are kind of the ways that you can benefit from this correction. Um, but all in all, you know, this is normal. You got to ride this out. And, you know, historically, like we said, 100 percent of these have recovered. Yeah. I mean, if you're building wealth, you, you can buy some shares on sale. If you're in retirement, you can pull your income from the bond side of it. So that's the process that that we use and we like and has worked well historically. And I think we'll be okay as long as Fred doesn't, you know, increase the interest rates anymore. <laughs> That's right. I know Fred, you can't trust him. Yeah. Fred, man. <laughs> but, uh, no, I think, I think Fred's only got four more <laughs> hikes <laughs> on his calendar. So I think, uh, I think we're going to be okay once those, <laughs> once those settle out. All right. Um, and that leads us up here to our financial fact. Well, I'm sorry, our question. question of the week. Yeah, this question I had a, um, a meeting with a client is good, you know, retiring in six months and wanted, wanted to know if they should, you know, change their allocation based on what the markets have done. And 
you know, sat down and reran the the retirement plan, and it's in a they're in a conservative or a middle of the road portfolio, sixty percent in stocks, forty percent in bonds. So they're they're you know well positioned, uh, re- regardless of what the markets have done. Um, they've done well over 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 time, so they're meeting their goals and they're going to hit their income targets. When we build the plans, we build in you know negative years, so it's not um, right. you know it's not a surprise that we had these dips. We we certainly plan on them. So generally, I wouldn't make a change right in the middle. Like you said, you can reevaluate it when the markets pop back up. Um, but in this case, they were in the middle road portfolio. It's going to be good for them for many years. Yeah. And in general, when somebody is about five years out from retirement, we suggest you take a look and maybe start backing off in risk to something that's more of a middle portfolio that has 50 or 60% in stocks and not a hundred percent stocks. So you know, if you're if you're six months from retirement, of course that should have happened a long time ago. Yeah, so it sounds it like they did in yeah. this case. Yep. yep. So great question of the week. All right, and that leads up to our next topic here, and that is investment options for high income earners. It's from uh, Chris Hogan. He's one of the uh, gentlemen that work for Dave Ramsey, and uh, certainly a good discussion here, Steve. We do work with folks that have uh, are blessed with very high incomes and. Uh, they have a challenge once they hit their four hundred one k, you know, uh, the amount eighteen thousand or twenty four. Some of them need to save more, and they want to save more, and so you got to look at some different ways um, to save. And the good news is, you can invest in some of these accounts as much as you want. Um, there's some pros and cons to them, but I'm just going to jump right into it here. The first one is is called a backdoor Roth IRA, and for 2019. You had, there's some income limits. Um, you know, as a married couple, if you make more than 199,000, you can't open or contribute to a Roth, but um, you can invest in it, and you want to because the growth is tax-free, and um, you're not taxed on the withdrawal. So it's a good account to have. And there is a way around this income rule, and it's it's legal. It's called the the backdoor Roth IRA. But you got to be careful with this. Disclaimer on the front end, work with a CPA or an advisor to, to do some of these things because you can get yourself into some tax trouble. Yeah, it gets a little bit complicated here, um, but we'll go through a little bit of the details here. Yeah, the government says that you can convert a traditional IRA into a Roth regardless of your income level. Um, but the question is whether you can, you know, whether you have to convert other money that's that's already been taxed as well and, and incur a tax bill. But here's how it works. You can contribute up to $5,500 a year, 6500 if you're over 50 um, as long as your income is less than $121,000, then you can take a deduction for those contributions um, to a traditional IRA, regardless of participating in a retirement plan. Um, and you can convert that to a, a traditional IRA. You can open a new IRA. As soon as that money gets in your traditional IRA account, then you can convert that to a Roth IRA. Um, now, when you do that, you'll pay taxes on any any before tax money in your IRA. So you got to make sure you have cash on hand to be able to pay those taxes. The conversion is going to be prorated across all of your IRAs. So if you have after tax money in one IRA, but you have before tax money in other IRAs, it's going to be a mix of those two that get converted if you do a partial conversion. So just keep that in mind. It's a little bit complicated, but it's a great strategy to get money in a Roth IRA, regardless of your income level. Yeah, you can also do conversions of um, IRAs like uh, SEP or simple IRAs. But if you're converting an existing IRA, let's say one that you've had open for many years, you're going to pay taxes on all that money in the account, including any growth uh, that's occurred since you opened it. So depending on the size of your IRA and your tax rate, it's going to be a pretty uh, hefty tax bill. So don't make that conversion 
unless you have the cash to pay that tax bill. That's very important. And here's the good news. When you take money from a Roth uh, IRA later on, you're not taxed on that money because you've already paid taxes before it went in there. And you can do this year after year. You can do conversions and then pay the taxes and um, you can watch it grow tax-free. And so big benefit in retirement. Yeah. Now there may be um, some tax implications if you're in a higher tax bracket during the year that you convert an IRA to a Roth. So you got to make sure you talk to you know, again, your tax professional, um, make sure you get some advice. Um, don't do this on your own because this is a little bit complicated. So, you know, just, just make sure you understand what's going on with this conversion before you do it because there are some complicated tax rules. Yeah, to it. IRS has some information on their website. So that's obviously the place to go for the sure. for the for the details. So make sure you, you consult the IRS uh, website as well as the CPA. Another place, Steve, that people are saving is after-tax um, 401k contributions. Some employers allow after-tax contributions into the 401k. Um, so I'm going to go through some numbers here. Um, you can put up, if you're over 50, you can put up to 59000 into a 401k. So that's about 24400 um, that you're putting in, you know, after, um, uh, before tax money. Let's say your company matches you, um, let's say uh, $5,500. That's 30000 roughly that you have in there. You can contribute another 29000 after tax, and then you can roll that to a Roth IRA. Yeah, that's pretty great. nice. <clears throat> that's great. A- and it's a great, it's a, and not all uh, 401ks allow you to do that. So that's right. You got to check with your administrator, but if they allow you to put in after-tax contributions, you can sock a lot of weight. It doesn't matter what your income is, and then you can roll that into a, a Roth. Immediately. That's and right. when you get to retirement, if you have a lot of Roth money like that, that you built up, it gives you a lot more flexibility in retirement. You know, then you can control your tax situation a little bit instead of having to take any extra money directly out of your retirement plan or out of your 401k and be taxed on it and kicking you kick you into a higher tax bracket. So it's a great tool. You you want to use that if it's available. Um, another option for you is to invest in a in taxable investment account. Because a lot of people, John, they think that once you've maxed out your contributions to your 401k and your IRAs, you can't invest anything else. Well that's simply not true. I mean you can actually open a, a taxable you know, we like to call it a tax-managed account, mm-hmm. but it's after-tax money. Um, you can do that, you know, it's directly at your investment firm, um, like with us, if you're one of our clients. And then we, you can even set up automatic withdrawals from your bank account into that account each month. And then that account can be tax-managed. It can be very tax-efficient, depending on how it's invested. Ours certainly is very tax-efficient, um, so that most of it is deferred as long-term capital gains. Mm-hmm. And when you take it out, it gets a, a, fa- a tax-favored treatment as long-term capital grant gains, which have a maximum tax rate of about 15% for most people. Yeah. And so some of the other benefits, there's no contribution limit. You can put as much money in, in there. If you, uh, if you win the lottery, you can put all hundred million in there, right? So That's there's, right. there's no limit on that really nice. It's very flexible. You can take money out at any time for any kind of purchases. So, you know, it doesn't lock you in. You are going to have short or uh, long-term capital gains. So you got to make sure you plan for that. And there's also no re- uh, required withdrawals as, uh, you know, if you have an IRA, there's something called an RMD required minimum distribution every single year once you hit 70 and a half. And, and that is not the case with um, the brokerage account. So um, it's a it's really a, a neat account. It's got some advantages. A lot of our high income uh, earners are using this. Yeah. And it has a lot of flexibility uh, built into it. A couple drawbacks from the account is, of course, 
it's after tax money, so you don't get a tax deduction putting the money in. You know, yes, the IRS sets limits on the tax deductions you get. And, you know, once you max out your IRAs and your 401ks, um, then there's nothing else you can do to get a tax deduction on those types of investments. But like I mentioned, it is treated as long-term capital gains. And if you're in a 12% tax bracket for a married couple making less than 101000 gross income, then the capital gains on anything that falls in that bracket is actually zero, mm-hmm. John, for long-term capital gains. So, um, you know, there's some opportunities there. And then the other drawback, though, is the liability part. You know, investments inside of a 401k or a retirement plan are typically protected from lawsuits and from liabilities. Um, that's not the case with a taxable account that's in your name. If it's not in a trust or some kind of out, something outside of your your uh, personal estate, then it it will be subject to, you know, a judgment. Um, so that's why you might need an umbrella policy. So you want to look at that if you're a high income earner anyway. You may need an umbrella policy, and that would help protect you from liability. Yeah, and the final place that some high income earners invest is uh, real estate. Uh, Got to be careful here. This is an active investment. Land, um, you know, is another place that folks look at. But you know, bottom line is that there are there are different ways, uh, different accounts to to save in. If you have a high income, uh, make sure you're working with a CPA or um, an advisor. Uh, every situation is a little bit different, and uh, you want to make sure you just do some planning on it. That's right, but there are a lot of opportunities out there for tax-favored investments for higher-income earners, so you definitely want to look at all those. Give us a call if we can help you with that because, um, you know, there are some things we haven't talked about, like HSA accounts and sure. things like that. Yeah. So good topic. And that leads us up here to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, so, um, you know, pull out your retirement plan if, if you have one. Most most people don't. Our clients do have retirement plans. Uh, it's good to kind of review those during difficult markets. Uh, you got to keep focused on the long term. I mean, short term dips um, are really expected. We, we build them into your plan. Uh, if you look back at history, uh, 75% of the time the markets are up, 25% they're down. You got to have a process in place to, to manage that piece of it. And once you have a process and you understand it a little bit, it kind of becomes um, and, you know, you can, you can get used to it. It's not a, a big event when you have a down market because you're either going to do some rebalancing or you're going to, you know, pull income from the bond side of your portfolio, which is held up. So um, take a look at the plan. Yeah, definitely focus, you know, when markets are down like this, especially focus on your retirement plan. Chances are you're still on track. You know, this pullback in the market hasn't vastly affected your retirement plan in any way. So, you know, rather than focusing on the numbers in your in your investment account, you know, I would suggest pulling out the retirement plan and don't depress yourself by dwelling too heavily on your uh, investments in the middle of a correction. You know, these things do happen. So, uh, all right, great prescription of the week, and that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Be tuning next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us on our website as well, MoneyMD.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 